together, we're living through one of the most difficult moments in our lifetimes. The one-two punch of a virulent virus threatening our lives and livelihoods, and now the devastating fires in San Mateo and Santa Cruz counties are taking their toll. One reason to be thankful in difficult times is that they can move us to pray. And the question for people of faith is whether we'll give in to the tension and trauma of our difficult moment or learn how to pray. An important yet often misunderstood form of prayer that comes easily in times like this is arrow prayers. Arrow prayers are short, simple prayers, a few words, a sentence or less, that focus faith and sharpen our awareness of God. Arrow prayers give us direction and empower us to walk with God and help us fulfill the command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. The word translated without ceasing has the idea of continually or always. The term was used for a, <clears throat> a tickle in one's throat that made it feel like you were always just about to cough. We should always be just about to pray. The next verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, is our arrow prayer for today. Give thanks in all circumstances, or also translated, give thanks in everything. We're called to constantly watch for opportunities to give thanks, and this arrow prayer orients us toward thankfulness, no matter the circumstances we're in. Arrow prayers of thanksgiving move freely from the lips of those acquainted with grace and God's ways. Give thanks to God in everything. Launches our daily search to find and declare God's presence and goodness in our lives. Now, as we consider this prayer, it's important that we not make it a mindless cliche. Glibly thanking God for all manner of evil. Praise God, I've got COVID-19. I'm reminded of an old story about a politician in Kansas who stood on the campaign stump promising one farm miracle after another. The crowd responded with a chant, Hoya, Hoya, Hoya. The politician visited a farm after his rousing speech where he saw some large bulls standing in a corral and he asked if he could walk among the bulls and the farmer said that was fine. Entering the corral, the farmer issued a word of caution, however. He said, don't get too close to the bulls, watch for holes in the ground, and be careful not to step in the Hoya. Now apparently, Hoya isn't a rousing cheer or an acronym for help our youth achieve. Now, superficial thankfulness is just so much Hoya. We don't believe it, and others see right through it. Give thanks in everything is a discipline, it's a mindset that allows us to see the reality often blocked by our expectations, discomfort, and desires. Now the background to the book of 1 Thessalonians reveals how Paul practiced this prayer. The purpose of this letter was to expand expressions of thanks, not just by being thankful, but giving thanks, praying, rejoicing, and praying, and giving God credit uh, that he so richly deserves for his gracious work in, in our lives and in the world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love 
and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul expressed thanks for the Christians in Thessalonica in warm personal terms, despite suffering several setbacks uh, and questions about the success of his work. He arrived in Thessalonica after a difficult time in Philippi, where he was arrested after casting a demon out of a girl in the marketplace. And he and Silas were severely beaten and placed in stocks in the Philippian jail. God rescued them, but Paul and Silas were forced to leave the city for Thessalonica. And there he spent three Sabbaths, some of the Jews and many God-fearing Gentiles, the text says. And these were those Gentiles who were attracted to the monotheism and morality of Judaism. And so they had been drawn to it. Um, But these are some of the ones that accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. And Paul's success angered a group of Jews that he had been a part of before his conversion called Judaizers, uh, who claimed that uh, everyone must continue to live by the law code, uh, the Jewish law code in the Old Testament. And these Judaizers followed him from town to town, seeking to undermine his work. One of the converts, Jason, protected Paul and his companions, and they were secretly moved out of the city. And then Paul traveled to Berea, where he had similar success in the synagogue there, but he was chased out again by the Judaizers and traveled to Athens, where very few responded. So he moved on to Corinth, and he planted a church with the help of Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul constantly faced opposition and physical threats during this period. But Paul wrote this letter First Thessalonians at a time when he, he could have doubted whether he was having any impact at all. It's only after Timothy arrived and gave his report that Paul writes this letter, thanking God for the success of the gospel in that city. And the church in Thessalonica wasn't just surviving, it was thriving despite continued persecution. And their community wasn't perfect, yet Paul focuses on their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope and gives God thanks. And he encourages the church to do the same and give thanks in everything, including difficult times and moments that they would just as soon have escaped. Now, the word translated give thanks in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is eucharisteo is the Greek word, and that should sound familiar to you. Uh, It's the term that we get Eucharist from, or the giving of thanks that was celebrated at the Last Supper, uh, the bread and the cup, symbols of the body and blood of Christ. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, it says of Jesus at the Last Supper meal, and he took bread, gave thanks, Eucharisteo, and broke it and gave it to them. And the root of this term, Eucharisteo, is charis, uh, which means grace. And so Jesus took the bread and saw it as grace and gave thanks. He took the wine and saw it as grace and gave thanks. Eucharisteo, thanksgiving, envelops this Greek word for grace, charis. But it also holds uh, its its derivative, um, which is the Greek word kara, which means joy. You're getting a little bit of a Greek lesson today, but it's important for this passage. And so the symbols of Christ's excruciating sacrifice are the holy grail of joy. Charis, grace, Eucharisteo, thanksgiving, kara, joy. Deep joy is found only at the table of the Eucharisteo, the table of thanksgiving. 
In one of his last directives, Jesus offers his disciples the bread and the wine. And then he says, remember, do this in remembrance of me. Remember and give thanks. The Eucharist, the giving thanks for Christ's sacrifice is the crux of Christianity, the body and blood. Why? Why is remembering and giving thanks the core of the Christian faith? It's because remembering with thanks is what causes us to trust. It causes us to truly believe. Remembering, giving thanks, is what makes us a member again of the body of Christ. Remembering, giving thanks, is what puts us back together again in this hurried, broken, fragmented world. Now think for a moment about what Jesus's giving thanks moment meant. He was saying, thank you, Father, that my body, symbolized by this bread, and my blood, symbolized by this wine, is about to be brutally broken and spilled out, and I will momentarily experience your wrath. Isaiah 53.10, it says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, uh, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And Jesus did this for this joy that was set before him, his offspring, um, our, which was our salvation, our salvation from sin. Um, but circumstantially, there was nothing joyful about this. Jesus' thankfulness wasn't based on his present circumstances. He was about to endure the worst possible horror. He felt thankful to the Father for the grace and glory that was coming because of the cross and because of his resurrection, and this gave him joy, Eucharisteo. Now, Jesus' Eucharisteo was fueled by his belief in future grace, and that's why the author of Hebrews uh, that's what he meant when he wrote in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus pioneered our faith. He focused on future joy. This is the template for us. And he got through the cross by focusing on what it would accomplish. And this makes it possible to be thankful in difficult circumstances because through the eyes of faith, we can see what it produces. It's seeing that all our real needs will be provided while we're on earth. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's knowing that God will finish his work in you. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's celebrating that the free gift of complete forgiveness extends forever. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's remembering that in all things at all times, we have what we need. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Jesus' joy was our salvation, and this is what it produces. How can we give thanks in everything? How can we practice this? Well, the only way is the Jesus way. Look to the joy set before you. 
by giving thanks in everything, we find the strength to move through difficult times. By giving thanks in everything, we see that our needs are fully met so we can reach out to others even when we're in the midst of it too. And in the words of the great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, by giving thanks in everything, we tune our hearts to sing thy grace, this beautiful phrase in that hymn, uh, tune our hearts to sing thy grace. By praying, give thanks in everything, we tune our hearts to never-ceasing streams of mercy, which call for songs of loudest praise. By praying, give thanks in everything, we fix ourselves on the mount of God's redeeming love. Now, even during the lockdowns and restrictions of the COVID-19 pandemic, and now the devastating fires in Santa Cruz and San Mateo counties and other places in the Bay Area, um, these provide exercises in give thanks and everything. By having so much taken away so quickly, uh, we now see and appreciate what we had. COVID-19 is a human catastrophe that has devastated people, communities, and industries, and yet there's cause to be thankful. Not for the terrible disease that ravages lungs and vital organs and lives, but for the blessings it exposes and moments it creates. After the initial shelter-in-place order in March went out, the first things many of us noted were the simple blessings we never saw as blessings. To go to a coffee shop and be greeted by a friend. To enjoy a sumptuous meal prepared in someone else's kitchen. To go to the store without masking up or just dropping your kids off at school. And before the pandemic, we didn't fully appreciate our freedom or the emotional impact of our patterns of life and simple pleasures. I don't think we'll take that for granted again, at least I hope not. Um, the fact that we're all in this together is bringing communities together and forging bonds of solidarity. And the, the flexibility of live stream worship that we started back in March at the Highway Community and the podcast have allowed us to touch more people than ever before, which is a joyful thing, even if we can't be physically together right now. Uh, the neighborhood I live in has come together in amazing ways. When I was sequestered in the mountains the first two months of the pandemic, uh, Diane and I decided that was the best place for me as part of the uh, at-risk population. One of our neighbors visited Diane each day. She came down to check on her. Uh, they had socially distanced conversations on our porch, but the relationship with, with this family that we're friends before has deepened so much over the last six months. David Haley, who is our next door neighbor, he and Brittany live next door, and uh, David is, our, is a site pastor of our Palo Alto site. He does the Costco runs, which we're eternally grateful for. <laughs> and we've made all kinds of new friends with UPS, FedEx, and Uber Eats drivers. Uh, we've never seen more people out each day walking, biking, and heading down to Washington Park. And while Diane was testing recipes for our daughter's wedding cake, she delivered samples and got feedback from our neighbors, which uh, they seem to enjoy as well. Last weekend, my daughter Courtney got married, and it was at that ceremony and just over that whole time that I found myself thanking God again and again and again. Um, 
Courtney began planning her wedding last year. She, she checked out wedding venues, tried different caterers, and selected a date. But then COVID-19 interfered with all of that. She and her fiancé, Dylan, went back and forth, but finally settled on a small ceremony, 14 people total, immediate family members only. And last week, we went down to Los Angeles to celebrate, and a surprising celebration it was. Uh, the venue was the backyard of Dylan's 92-year-old grandmother in Pacific Palisades, a lush setting just big enough. And it was a true family affair. I officiated Diane made the wedding cakes. My grandson, Miles, was the ring bearer. My granddaughter, Virginia, was the flower girl. My son, Ryan, provided live music. And my other son, Matt, gave the bride away so that I didn't have to ask and answer the question, who gives Courtney to be married to Dylan? <laughs> and with just our immediate family and a few hundred people watching on YouTube, um, but with just our immediate family there present, many of the stresses surrounding a wedding were removed, and we had an intimate dinner and celebration. It was, it, it's, it's a great memory for us. Now, the experience of gratitude is even more pronounced for those who have been struck by the virus. Uh, I read a story recently about a fitness trainer in Rome, Fausto Russo, 38 years old. He said this, COVID-19 changed me. I understand the importance of things that used to seem insignificant, things that signify living, breathing, a walk, a hug, a glass of wine, <clears throat> because this virus wants to take that away from you. It wants to take away your freedom. He talked about slowing down his life. He talked about practicing a grateful attitude, and he saw this as an important way just to navigate uh, the current crisis. And when COVID-19 ravages a person's health or a fire devastates a community, what is ultimately significant, what is there, what is joyful, it's, it's exposed. Now, I've come to understand that gratitude is the key element in developing the inner life of a Christian, which is a pretty bold statement. There's lots of things to choose from, but gratitude is, is such a key element in developing our spiritual lives, our, our relationship with the Lord Jesus. To give thanks in everything, it opens our eyes. Giving thanks in everything puts us in the real world in which everything is a gift from God, the giver of all good things. Cultivating an attitude of gratitude, as hackneyed as that sounds, is essential to maintaining that perspective. God is active in the midst of the coronavirus through the actions of heroic medical teams and loving relatives and compassionate friends. But are we allowing ourselves to notice that these actions reflect the goodness of God manifested in the lives of people he created? Giving thanks in all things, it makes that connection and positions us for appreciating that in the midst of a broken world, God is everywhere at work. Now, the Gospels reveal that Jesus practiced this lifestyle that perfectly revealed giving thanks in all things. Like any devout Jew, Jesus offered thanks to God before meals. And we saw this with the feeding of the 5,000. We saw it at the Last Supper, but this would have been his practice before every single meal. 
Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And no doubt his solitary prayer sessions, when he, when he took himself aside and he went out to pray and be by himself, that these were times that were filled with thanksgiving to the Father. And Jesus once praised a leper for returning to offer thanks. However, the Gospels don't record one instance of Jesus telling his disciples or anyone else to be thankful. And perhaps Jesus never mentioned gratitude, not even in the Beatitudes, uh, the introduction to his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, because it, it came so naturally to him. It's, it's a default setting for, it was a default setting for him and a default setting for those who follow him. And so how could he go to sleep each night without thinking through the day and examining it and thanking his father for all that had occurred during the day? How could he wake each morning without giving thanks for the rising sun and the opportunity to do his father's work? According to the Gospels, Jesus didn't lecture about thankfulness. He lived it. And we live a lifestyle of give thanks and everything by expressing thanks for everyday blessings, the beauty of the earth, and sustenance for each day. We live a lifestyle of give thanks and everything by noting the people in our lives that mean so much to us and do so much for us. We live this lifestyle when we look beyond our circumstances to God's presence. We live this lifestyle when we develop rituals that draw us to acknowledge God's goodness like praying before meals and thanking God when prayer is answered. We live this lifestyle when we take out our calendar and pray through our day, thanking God for the opportunity of each experience and each encounter. We live this lifestyle when we invite everyone at the dinner table to express thanks for something from their day. We live this lifestyle when we rehearse and remember markers of God's great acts in our lives, memorials, of God's presence and goodness. And by living this lifestyle, we learn contentment. In, first, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul states, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And so contentment for broken humanity is not a default setting. Paul had to learn it, and so do we. Paul learned that by giving thanks in everything, um, he learned that by giving thanks in everything. And that is the same way that we learn contentment as well, by giving thanks in everything. And this, this arrow prayer draws us to see what we already have, not what we do not have. It focuses on what is found, not what is lost. In 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And give thanks in everything leads to godliness, and godliness is contentment. When we humble ourselves to absorb the reality that everything we have, and even the fact that we exist at all, is because of God's generosity, we're inhabiting our relationship with Christ. We are enjoying the riches that are found there. God loves us completely, but he owes us nothing. And so let us get rid of any entitlement attitude we might have and simply receive the blessings God chooses to send our way as pure gifts, the pure gifts that they truly are. And a contented lifestyle leads to a generous lifestyle, which leads to gratitude, 
Moving our focus away from ourself and toward others widens our perspective in ways that help us to be thankful. When we pay attention to how others are struggling, it breaks us out of dwelling on negative thoughts about our own challenges. When we reach out to help others in need, we become part of something positive as God's love flows through us into their lives. And this all leads to more gratitude because it connects us more closely with the Holy Spirit who renews our minds so we can see our circumstances from God's perspective and realize just how much we have to be thankful for. And as we take action to help someone, we discover that it truly is more blessed to give than receive because we'll be blessed with more gratitude as a result. And throughout 2020, this year we're in, many of us have found ourselves asking the question, why this? Why now? Or just why? (laughs) Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once wrote, he who knows the why can bear with any how. However, faith isn't created out of facts that answer the question why, which in part explains Nietzsche's atheism because he never got the why. Instead, faith is trust in who? But that doesn't mean that faith is blind. Praying the arrow prayer, give thanks in everything, it provides the evidence for faith. And it points to the who. And during this pandemic, instead of seeking to satisfy, satisfy our intellect and demand an answer from God, giving thanks deepens our relationship with him. In the midst of this season, ask God what he wants to reveal to you about himself. Allow God to draw you to himself by praying this prayer and finding God in the midst. The time for Thanksgiving isn't when a vaccine is available or the fires are out. May we give thanks for everything now.